Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Soulmates, a lot to talk about on this Thursday, February 9th. Some of the stories we're following include students across the nation protesting in response to racist acts, and a six-year-old is sexually attacked on a Houston school bus. Welcome to Fox Souls Black Report. I'm Courtney Hicks. And I'm Nicordelai Corte. We'll also have the best cities to celebrate Black History Month and the controversial bill to create a separate court in Mississippi. Those are the stories that are impacting our people. As we bring you our news, our views, and our voice. So, topping the news today, it's being called the most oppressive legislation in Jackson's history. The Republican-dominated Mississippi House of Representatives has passed a bill to create a separate, unelected court system in the city of Jackson that would fall outside of the authority of city voters the majority of whom are black. Now, the bill, which local leaders have linked to apartheid-era laws and described as unconstitutional, would also expand a separate Capitol Police force overseen by state authorities. Now, according to reports, the force would expand into all of the city's white majority neighborhoods. That's right. The passing of this bill has struck tensions to rise throughout the state uh, as Jackson is one of the blackest cities in the country. This week, Jackson's mayor, Lumumba, said it's, quote, oppressive because it strips the right of black folks to vote. It's oppressive because it puts a military force over people that have no accountability to them. It's oppressive because there will be judges who will determine sentences over people's lives. It's oppressive because it redirects their tax dollars to something they don't endorse nor believe in. Here to discuss the Mississippi court and other important issues impacting black Americans is Yamika Rushing, NAACP Chief Strategy Officer. Welcome, Yamika, and thank you for joining us here on Fox Soul's Black Report. Hey there, thank you for having me. Oh, we appreciate you so much. All right, so let's dive right into it. Can you break down for us the impact of having unelected courts in Mississippi. This blew the mind of lots of folks. Top, top discussion today, have at it. Well, Mississippi is obviously trying uh, really hard to live up to its history here. Uh, the racism playbook has been around for a long time, but what we're seeing over the last few years is that it has uh, some new chapters uh, and we're really trying hard uh, to combat what we would call the new uh, Jim Crow. Uh, kill the black vote, kill the black voice, kill black bodies, and now steal the ability of black folks to govern and have equal representation. It's just something that we ought to all stand up all over the nation and cry out about. And certainly that's what the NACP is doing. And speaking of killing black bodies, we know that the DOJ is now investigating the Jackson water crisis, which has had an outsized effect uh, on uh, the black folks in the community uh, of Jackson. Headlines have faded on the matter, unfortunately. But can you tell our viewers, why should we still be paying attention? And what's the status uh, of the Jackson City water crisis, again, predominantly impacting black folks? Well, the headlines certainly haven't faded here as we still have families struggling with the basic right uh, to water. You know, this is something that we all deserve. It's just the basics. We should be talking in 2023 about the fundamental right uh, to have clean, accessible drinking water. 
Uh, but year over year, uh, Jackson has certainly struggled with this. We are starting to see some new federal resources come in, $600 million coming in to help with the infrastructure around Jackson. And we hope that we'll begin uh, to see a difference. But the legislature is, is fighting all of this. Of course, now the question is who controls the money and who governs the ability to ensure that it does what it's meant to do. And so the NACP is certainly standing with families and standing with the community as we want to make sure that these dollars are allocated to fix these long-standing issues in this historically black city. If you don't mind, uh, Yumika, there's so much to, to cover while we have you here. Let's shift to the attack on black history as it continues in this country, uh, being led somewhat by uh, Southern governors uh, leading that charge. Uh, so what is the NAACP uh, doing and continue uh, and will continue to do to to protect uh, black history, seeing as though we're uh, just about in the middle of, of Black History Month, especially? No, we've kind of centered this debate around around children and around uh, around history. Certainly, Black history is American history, and we want to ensure that our stories are told. Uh, and and there's no way to um, really sugarcoat uh, what has happened. It's not a pretty story, slavery and all of the things that inequities that our ancestors endured. But it is our truth, and it is our story, and it deserves to be told. And we've got to just ensure. Uh, that all of these attacks to dismantle the truth around the country really are, are met uh, with the type of force uh, that, that is needed. Um, black history is American history, and we want to ensure that all young people, all people of all ages, have an opportunity to understand that history and to learn from it so that we certainly don't repeat those mistakes. That's right. And speaking of repeating mistakes, we know throughout our history, uh, police misconduct has been uh, an, an issue that we've had to deal with for generations. We saw this week uh, during the President's State of the Union speech, there were a number of members of the Congressional Black Caucus that were wearing 1870 pins mm -hmm. uh, to underscore that historical moment where the first uh, black unarmed free man uh, was shot and killed by police officers uh, in Philadelphia. Uh, can you uh, just share with us just sort of a few highlights from uh, the State of the Union uh, address, and more importantly, what can we expect from the NAACP uh, in the coming days and weeks, especially hmm. when it comes to the issue of police reform that uh, continues to stay in the headlines? I'll tell you, I had the privilege of being in that room, uh, and it was just awe-inspiring in many respects to look around and see what our ancestors have built, uh, and then to see our leaders uh, coming together to try uh, to, to govern. Uh, we thought it was a strong uh, speech, uh, and we thought that it included many of the things uh, that African Americans across the nation care about. Uh, but it also isn't enough. You'll notice that in the remarks, the president kept saying, uh, we've got to get there. We've got to uh, move move forward. Mm -hmm. uh, we've started some things, but we've got to finish now. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that's what we're all waiting on. We're waiting uh, for the finish. It was an incredible moment when Tyree, uh, the parents stood up, um, and we had an opportunity to just honor uh, them and the loss of their, their child. Uh, but we're seeing too much of this around the country. And the, the moment felt eerily familiar uh, to stand up uh, as we uh, sat at the feet of another set of black parents mourning uh, the loss of their child. So we've got to have uh, some real uh, police reform. We've got to get uh, serious about it. And we've got to uh, come together as a nation and demand action. That's certainly what the NAACP is doing and will continue to do so. I think in the words of our president, every time that we fail to write a piece of legislation that really cures this, we write another obituary. Uh, and so uh, we don't want to write any more obituaries. Yeah, well said. Yumika Rushing with NAACP, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, an official soulmate now. We must definitely have you back as the agenda continues. Uh, we thank you, as we always say, for getting into that good trouble. Thanks so much. Thank you so much. Now, uh, the officer involved in the death of 26-year-old African immigrant Patrick Loyoya is asking for a wrongful death suit to be dismissed under qualified immunity. The officer who shot and killed Loyoya is Christopher Schur, 
According to court documents, Schur's attorney argued in a court filing that he is protected by qualified immunity, which shields law enforcement and government officials from civil liability when carrying out their duties and claim he did not violate Loyola's uh, Fourth Amendment protections. Schur, who is white, pulled over Loyola uh, on April 4th, 2022 for having a license plate having a license plate mm -hmm. that didn't match the car he was driving. That resulted in him being shot in the head and killed. It's still a very uh, disturbing video. You know, as these videos are available or as they are released, whether it's body cam footage or, um, you know, footage that, uh, you know, a, a spectator, if you will, or witness um, kind of videos, they're very disturbing to watch. And I haven't really been able to get through through any of them, starting pretty much with George Floyd. Um, you know, as the victims start calling out for help, pleading for their lives, calling for their mamas, I just, I can't take it. And in particular, uh, Tyree Nichols with this talk of 20 more hours of, of footage available. Um, this particular footage with this case, it happened uh, in our backyard in Grand Rapids, which is the second largest city in Michigan, a couple of hours away west of Detroit. Um, it is just, um, it rips your heart out because clearly at, at some point he had him subdued and yeah. the fact that he was, according to reports, shot in the back mm -hmm. of the head, it's just absolutely disgusting. And it's also important to note that the filing also claims that it was objectively unreasonable for sure to shoot Loyola. The shooting death of Patrick Loyola also although tragic, was objectively reasonable mm. and a product of an immediate threat of death or serious physical injury to the officer. You know, this is a part of what this issue is all about. Mm -hmm. This is a part of why we're at an impasse in Congress when it comes to meaningful police reform. Qualified immunity allows for uh, any officer that really fears for their lives to be able to use lethal force. That's right. uh, and I think what a lot of activists are arguing across the country is let's at a bare minimum raise the threshold by which officers are able to, to claim qualified immunity. I mean, this guy was pulled over because his license plate uh, uh, looks suspicious. Yeah. And he ended up dead, shot in the back of the head, as you mentioned. Yeah, but these police officers then become judge and jury. And, and that is not fair, as we know how our law works. And that is why uh, these policies must, to, must continue to be argued and argued down and, and argued off of, you know, the plate, really, for it to be an alternative. Is, or an option as far as I'm concerned. And to your point, Courtney, officers out there acting as judge, jury, and executioner, mm. that's just not sustainable. You can't forget executioner because that's exactly what this looks like, appears to be, and what the videotape uh, displays. All right, we're moving along here to uh, more police matters. An increasing number of black police chiefs are facing intense uh, pushback from officers as they press for reform. There is also anger from citizens scarred by a history of mistreatment by police. Chief John Drake, he's in Nashville. Chief Daniel Hahn, he is in Sacramento. And Boston Police Kis Commissioner Michael Cox are joined by numerous black chiefs across the nation who admitted to facing a lot of backlash when trying to create a positive image for law enforcement. In 2020, the Bureau of Justice Statistics at the Department of Justice reported that just 6% of chiefs from local police departments were black and much more likely to be, be a black in departments serving 250,000 or more residents. And it's important to note that the commissioner in Boston, mm -hmm. uh, uh, Commissioner Cox, he was beaten by fellow officers back in 1995. They, they mistook him for a suspect in an incident uh, that was covered up until Cox won a $1 million uh, civil rights lawsuit, mm -hmm. right? And so a uh, very rare example of somebody surviving uh, uh, police violence and actually becoming uh, a police uh, chief. Uh, but, you know, we know this story all too well. Mm -hmm. To put black folks in positions of power, but to disempower them from having the folks underneath them that are aligned, you know, with a new set of thinking, a new mindset, uh, is a recipe for more of the same. And so, mm -hmm. yes, we're seeing very, very, very slowly more black police chiefs, more black police officers, but let's not make no mistake about it. Law enforcement is still overwhelmingly white, uh, and there are, um, 
this, you don't have to take my word for it, there's research out there that dates back to the early 2000s that talks about the infiltration of white supremacy in law enforcement, mm. uh, right? And so you need more than just a black face in a high place in order to make a difference. You know, it's just interesting to me as a, you know, as, as black officers, how they balance and manage, you know, the blue and the black. You know, and, and, I, and I often feel like that's a conversation that isn't had a lot. Um, you know, that's got to be tough, you know, to balance that. And that's what makes the Nichols case so uh, significant and different because, you know, it was black on black. So, you know, I, I would like to hear, you know, from police officers, from chiefs who handle uh, the blue and the black rub there. I mean, that, that, you know, that in my opinion, that would have to be significant, how they handle that, what filter do they use, uh, as most of that stuff, uh, the, the things that we've talked about, most of these things have been, you know, the uh, racial divide, if you will. That's got to be a tough position to, to, to be in. But you know what, Courtney, part of this is really, it's, it's an unfair question, and it's because it's a question that white police chiefs don't have to deal with, mm -hmm. right? If you are a black police chief, you know, you're having to deal with issues related to racial justice. Uh, in a way that your white colleagues don't have to. Mm -hmm. they're, they're, not, they're not going back home in the neighborhoods or back to churches or back to you know, family cookouts with folks that are oftentimes mistaken as suspects, mm -hmm. right? You know, who are thought ill of uh, you know, before uh, they are afforded their due process. And so we'll continue to keep our eye on this. I think it's a double-edged sword to be black this. and blue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. More to, more to say on this, but now off to Houston, where a family is horrified at what they say happened to their six-year-old on an, an Aldine ISD bus. The child's mom says that her son was repeatedly sexually assaulted in the back of the bus by an older student, Latoya Monroe, first heard the uh, assault last week. Uh, but she says, according to security footage, they started months ago. The child's mom said that she asked school transportation officials to look at the bus cameras after her son's backpack went missing. Now, that's when she got a call from the school with the new, uh, with the news that no parent, no parent could ever imagine. Now that the mom and community leaders uh, are demanding accountability. This story is spreading like wildfire. It is, and uh, I want to, you know, cl clear up just in case there's any misconceptions. This is a, a, a black mom, a, a black student who has been riding this bus, you know, frequently because now there are reports saying that these sexual attacks have been ongoing. Uh, the young boy left behind a backpack. She uh, approached the school officials to find it. They used the video to locate where the backpack was, and here they come across this video of this baby being sexually assaulted. I want to say towards the back of the bus, uh, the uh, driver thought that maybe there was some sort of uh, scuffle going on, a fight. Uh, and so bits and pieces are all still coming together. I'm just disturbed uh, by the fact that I remember um, uh, back in my day, you know, buses were separated. You had elementary school, you had middle school, you had high school. And if there was a mix, we were talking earlier, that there would be some adult supervision. So I'm a little concerned about that. And if, if this has been ongoing, who has not, how is this happening on adult supervision, supervision watch or that may say, show that there is no adult supervision at all on yeah. these buses. Yeah, and to your point, I mean, I think part of what a lot of people who are just cringing mm. as they're hearing this story or as they're reading the story, you know, how many other young people has this happened to? Mm. We wouldn't have known about this story if the child had lost the backpack, number one. Number mm -hmm. two, if the mom hadn't reached out uh, to school officials to say, hey, can you take a look at that, that bus footage uh, to see what happened to his backpack? And three, if school officials didn't cop to what they actually saw on that video. Mm -hmm. And so I think one very um, important question is, has this happened before? And how many other young people has this happened to uh, in uh, the Houston area and perhaps other parts of the country? And should those age groups be mixed like that on buses without supervision? adult supervision. A lot of questions to be answered. We'll definitely keep on top of that story. Here's another story, soulmates, uh, that you may or may not have heard of. Very disturbing as well. The Archdiocese of Philadelphia is investigating after students from a Catholic school were seen on video using racist language. In the video posted to social media, one student from St. Hubert's Catholic School for Girls sprays another's face with black paint while screaming, know your roots, 
and you're nothing but a slave. Now the girl in blackface then responds, I'm black and I'm proud. The archdiocese has condemned the student's actions and has promised that all those responsible will be disciplined appropriately. In New Jersey, over 100 high school students walked out of class for a second day of protests over allegations of racism at Collingswood High School. Students left the building shortly before noon. During the peaceful two-hour protest, students cited a list of allegations against school officials, including racial profiling. The group included students of all races, some waving signs that read Black Lives Matter. Several students said black classmates are disproportionately disciplined. Now, the school enrolls about 750 students in grades 9 through 12 and is 16% black. Uh, you know, black lives uh, sure do matter. And, um, you know, good for these students, yeah. you know, for exercising their voice, exercising their agency, uh, and uh, really standing up in a peaceful way, mm -hmm. in a peaceful way. But I, I think I think it's the circumstances are tragic, whether it be race relations or mass shootings in schools. But on the other side of it, if you can squeeze a little positivity out of it, because of these circumstances, because this is what the Gen Z's essentially are dealing with, they have produced so many leaders very young leaders and a lot of these movements have always been uh, grounded if you will uh, in in youth and youth activism and so you know if you can find a positive as to you know what has aside from what has prompted them to become activists uh, in regards to uh, you know losing their classmates to mass shootings in regards to having to deal with you know racial uh, discrimination uh, while in school I think the fact that they are uh, galvanizing and and producing leaders among leaders um, is is in fact a positive and, and it keeps me encouraged because you know from generation to generation, you know, as you go older, you go, oh my God, those kids. But um, they really have a handle. A lot of them really have a handle and are very conscious and aware of what is happening and how they can be a part of the change, even at such young ages. And it's also important to point out these last two stories, mm -hmm. uh, that these stories are examples of what's happening on school campuses. And mm -hmm. so whether you, you think your kids are safe, if you send them to a private school, mm -hmm. Right. Or, you know, if, if you don't. Right. You know, there is there is a a a climate on campus uh, where uh, issues related to racial injustice are clear and mm -hmm. present um, and are oftentimes keep creating environments that are unsafe, mm. you know, for for black students, for students of color. Uh, and we've got to do something uh, about it, you know, and, and you can't wait for federal legislation or for your state to pass legislation. But, you know, that each school community, you know, has to step forward and say enough is enough. I mean, the spray paint to spray paint mm -hmm. uh, your classmate mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, to to share those sort of disparaging words. I mean, you know, that is the kind of stuff that breaks young people's spirit. Yeah, and, and these young people, they're not waiting on these adults either to get it right. Enough has got to be enough. Indeed. Let's move on here. A group that champions the separation of church and state is demanding the University of Colorado censor any religious exercises, that's in quotes there, that Deion Sanders, that's coach, may intend to practice with team players and staff. The Freedom From Religion Foundation claims that Sanders has been engaging in, quote, inappropriate and unconstitutional actions by engaging in religious exercises with players and staff members. This all comes from a December 20th official staff meeting where Sanders decided to open the prayer meeting, or the meeting with, you, you got it, prayer. <laughs> the organization also claims that on January 16th, Sanders instructed another staff uh, member to lead the players in prayer before the start of a team meeting. The University of Colorado responded uh, to that organization's letter and said Sanders has received training and guidance on boundaries. And that is a quote. And, you know, I know Coach Sanders knows he is in a whole different world based upon his current and continuing actions. I don't think he cares. He's a man of faith. Um, and that's what he's going to do and how he's going to continue to operate. Um, but he has to understand he's in a different world and he's going to receive some pushback. And I don't know if he'll win that battle just because, you know, that organization has a point. Well, you know, every organization has its culture. And, and from the story, I didn't read that he was uh, pushing Forcing. people, 
-hmm. to to pray with him. Mm -hmm. uh, it seemed like he gave people the opportunity to opt in, uh, but uh, you know that's the difference between yes, that is. Jackson State culture <laughs> and that Colorado culture. Because we gonna pray before right? any kind of meeting, right? and, and I'm sure there are plenty of people in Colorado that you know may have joined him in the prayer. Sure. But, you know, we also have to keep in mind that there are people among us that are not believers, right? And so, mm -hmm. uh, you know, creating a space that allows you know everybody to yeah. uh, to feel like they belong, yeah. and that's that's probably different what rubs people the wrong different way. Different filters. Yeah. So we'll see. We, we shall. How that works out. We sure, we sure <laughs> will. Okay, Coach Primetime. Coming up, a new study is revealing shocking details regarding black business owners. Plus, a growing rise in black parents enrolling their kids in homeschool. We'll tell you why when we return. You're watching Fox Soul's Black Report. Welcome back to Fox Hills Black Report. Now, according to a new survey, black entrepreneurs still experience racism despite black business owners potentially adding $190 billion to the economy. The study reported that 84% of black business owners said that their business improved their financial position, while 79% of black business owners said they have experienced racism from a customer. 82% said they code switch when dealing with vendors and customers to avoid negative stereotypes. And 86% of black business owners said they are judged more harshly than non-black business owners. 57% of black business owners claim they were denied business loans compared to 37% non-white business owners. Yet and still, according to a source, a partner of the U.S. Small Business Administration, black ownership is on the rise. It's just a matter of pushing through. My husband is a black business owner. He's, he owns his own uh, construction company for uh, a little bit more than 15 years now. Uh, they're all in different parts of the country, but based in their homes. So a lot of times I hear the conversations and I hear the conversations with the other side and I hear the inner workings of their conversation as a company and what they have to endure, the injustices, the unfairness, how they have to go that extra mile to prove themselves as a worthy partner or a worthy company that's going to be able to complete mm -hmm. your project, what these bigger other companies request from them versus you know other companies if you will it is real yeah it, it is real it's very real and you know when i first read the story you know i thought water is wet hmm. <laughs> <laughs> i thought this ain't no news to black folks we know we know this i thought of dr maya angelo's uh, poem yeah. still i rise yeah, right yeah. uh and we you know and uh, even the score ceo who's mentioned in the story bridget weston she mm -hmm. said that as new small business uh, applications continue at a record-setting pace black mm -hmm. business owners are thriving but mm -hmm. you know we still face these unique challenges no matter what stage of our business. So sometimes mm -hmm. we like to think if we just get past that first five mm -hmm. years, we're going to be all right. Well, there are plenty of businesses that have been around longer than those five years. And, you know, uh, they're still not quite all right. Mm -hmm. uh, how often have we heard of businesses that, you know, at the very best can get a subprime contract, but never mm -hmm. a prime contract. And so, you know, this ain't nothing new, ain't you know, but new. we will continue pushing, uh, keep on pushing, yeah. keep on and, pushing. And, don't and my stop. My husband says he, he wouldn't have it any other way. It is a struggle, but he wouldn't have it any other way to be his own boss. That's right. That's yeah. right. Well, well, speaking of struggle, more and more black families have turned to homeschooling in the past six years, but 2020 saw a significant increase when the pandemic disrupted in-person education, sending children home to rely on virtual lessons. Now, according to a U.S. Census Bureau survey at the onset of the pandemic, a little more than 3% of black families were homeschooling their kids, but that increased to over 16% by fall 2020. These newcomers joined hundreds of black homeschooling families who've spent years growing the practice, forming their own communities like African-American homeschool moms in New Jersey and Stewart's homegrown homeschoolers incorporated in the Houston area the Cultural Roots Co-op in Virginia, among so many others. Black homeschoolers say that along with protecting their children from racial disparities and abuse, mm. they don't have to worry about their children getting whitewashed versions of black history 
or no black history lessons at all. The black parents said what they said, and it is actually an answer to a question. It's funny, I just read an expose not too long ago um, from the organization Save Our Education, Save the Children, who say millions, almost 10 million young people have not returned to school since COVID-19. So as far as this story is concerned, and these villages and these communities and these cluster of black parents, maybe that's where, as far as you know, students of color, black students, Maybe that's where they have decided to, to, to be, is at home and not back in the schools. But there is a huge problem of, of, of millions of kids who have not returned to traditional school settings. Um, this organization is saying that, you know, the, the number one way to sort of kind of minimize this is resources. We know for resources we need money. Now, I don't know, I, you know, it's a, it's a huge challenge for school districts, for school officials, um, you know, principals, the, 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 you know, organizations like this. I don't know what the answer is. T almost 10 million kids not returning since the pandemic? Yeah, that's a Where lot. Where do you start? That's a lot. Well, you know, speaking of tradition, traditionally white families who make up most of the country's homeschoolers, they list religion and negative peer pressure in their decisions to homeschool. And according to the survey from the National Center for Education Statistics, uh, that's the case. But for black families, they cite the unique circumstances of being black in America hmm. as fueling their dissatisfaction with traditional schooling. I mean, think about the stories that we have reported on and again, what's happening on these school campuses, the climate uh, that's existing uh, that isn't making it uh, uh, ripe for learning uh, for African-Americans and so uh, I would keep my babies at home too. I would just be a little concerned that I wasn't smart enough to, t to teach them. So I love the communal effort because I could call on one of my sister girlfriends, you know, who may be a teacher or who may just be, uh, you know, much smarter or smart enough to teach the kids, especially in this new kind of math and science that they have. That would be my concern as long as, you know, the education is proper, if you will, or, or is what's needed mm -hmm. uh, to make sure that my child is, is, is competitive and knows what they need to know to get out in this world. World, then I'm fine, but I'd just be scared. I'm gonna be smart enough to teach my baby. I think you would be smart Please, enough to teach me. Please, not this kind of math. It's a different kind of math. All right, let's let's move on. Uh, $1 million payout from PVH, the owner of such brands as Tommy Hilfiger and Kelvin Klein, is being shared amongst 1,100 workers in Haiti after they were reportedly left in need by the closing of a factory. Now, according to The Guardian, the garment industry in Haiti is suffering from rising violence in the country, causing the uh, factories to close its doors after shipments and orders from North American brands were affected. Uh, most of those factory workers are being compensated for over six months worth of wages while some are receiving over a year's pay. Some workers are putting their money toward launching businesses, supporting their families and catching up on rent or other fees. And this is good to hear, but we also had another side to this particular story, which is Haiti has been asking and begging and pleading for help uh, for a long time now. I think the way that they sit in history, we owe it to them. I appreciate Tommy and Calvin, you know, helping out a bit, but there's a lot more help that Haiti is in need of. Yeah, this only scratches the surface. Very and we've been so. reporting right here on, on uh, the Black Report uh, about conditions in mm -hmm. Haiti and how uh, there are gangs that have really sort of taken hold uh, uh, of Haiti. Uh, we, we certainly know that there are, are a number of of Haitian immigrants that find themselves on the southern border of the United States, quite frankly, unable to use uh, the the uh, asylum app, uh, asylum seeking app that mm -hmm. the U.S. government has endorsed. Mm -hmm. uh, we just reported yesterday on a story where uh, they're not even reading the photos of mm -hmm. darker skinned folks, particularly mm -hmm. Haitians, mm -hmm. uh, properly. And so there's a lot of issues that are happening in Haiti and with Haitians uh, on the border, not being welcomed uh, by their neighbors. That's in right. DR. That's right. And in the store, in the story. Uh, there was a worker that said it's very difficult to get a new job in, ha in Haiti, and they said that they haven't got one, and many of the workers are still searching. And so, hmm. at the very least, pay your workers. Hmm. You know, let, let's not turn this into a, you know, uh, a, an applause for corporate social responsibility. But something you're supposed this to do? This is what you should be doing. <laughs> Calvin Klein, Tommy Hilfiger, Should've and company. Should have been. been. Amen. Uh, now, moving to Philadelphia, where uh, talk about corporate social responsibility. <laughs> you on fire. The Philadelphia 76ers have announced that they are bringing back their Buy Black program initiative. 
The Buy Black program was initially implemented during the 2021-2022 MBA season and garnered more than 600 applications from local Black-owned businesses. Those businesses and others can uh, once again apply on the 76ers website. Applications are now being taken, y'all, until February 21st, so hmm. mark your calendars. The selected business will have the chance to partner with the NBA team for the rest of the, the current 2022-2023 NBA season and going into the 2023-2024 season. Uh, the companies will also get free advertising across the 76ers social and digital platforms. It's a pretty good deal. Yeah, man, pretty good deal indeed. All right, this is a, a good deal too. We can't wait to talk about it. Still ahead, how Barbados is celebrating HBCU culture during Black History Month. It's about to be wild in Barbados. That's right. Plus, the best cities to celebrate our heritage and history this month. You stay right there. You're watching Fox Souls Black Report. We got something for you. Come on back. And we welcome you back, Soulmates. If you're just joining us, let's uh, go back to the top stories of the day. It's being called the most oppressive legislation in Jackson's history. The Republican-dominated Mississippi House of Representatives has passed a bill to create a separate unelected court system in the city of Jackson that would fall outside of the authority of city voters, the majority of whom are black. Now, the bill, which local leaders have linked to apartheid era laws and described as unconstitutional, would also expand a separate Capitol Police force overseen by state authorities. According to reports, the force would expand into all of the city's white majority neighborhoods. To Houston, where a family is horrified at what they say happened to their six-year-old son on an ISD school bus. The child's mom says her son was repeatedly sexually assaulted in the back of the bus by an older student, reportedly 16 years old. Now, LaToya Monroe first heard of the assaults last week, but says, according to security footage, they started months ago. The child's mom uh, said she asked school transportation officials to look at the bus cameras after her son's backpack went missing. That's when she got a call from school officials with the news no parent could ever imagine. Now this mom and the community leaders are demanding accountability. The Archdiocese of Philly is investigating after students from a Catholic school were seen on video using racist language. In that video posted to social media, one student from St. Hubert's Catholic High School for Girls sprays another's face with black paint while screaming, know your roots and you're nothing but a slave. The girl in blackface then responds, I'm black and I'm proud. Archdiocese uh, has condemned the student's actions and has promised that all those responsible will be disciplined appropriately. And the Freedom From Religion Foundation is demanding that the University of Colorado censor any religious exercises that Coach Deion Sanders may intend to practice with team players and staff. They claim Sanders has been engaging in, quote, inappropriate and unconstitutional actions by engaging in religious exercises with players and staff members. This all comes from a December 20th official staff meeting where Sanders decided to open the meeting with a prayer. The organization also claims that on January 16th, Coach Sanders instructed another staff member to lead the players in prayer before the start of a team meeting. The University of Colorado responded to uh, the organization's letter and says Coach Sanders has, quote, received training and guidance on boundaries. Nicordelai, over to you. Thanks, Courtney. Now, in celebration of black history, the National Black Cultural Information Trust Incorporated has launched the Protect Black History Initiative. The initiative is in response to Republicans' continued push of woke propaganda. And as communities across the country continue to face hostility towards the teaching of black history in schools. Now, the program will provide black history resources and materials to local communities and organizations in need of support. Local community groups, organizations and religious institutions can enroll online to participate. For more information, visit protectblackhistory.com.
Com. I'm sorry, protectblackhistory.org. There it is, yes. .org, baby. That's right. All right, you can put a dot on this, because listen, I feel like I need to book right now. I ain't even go to HBCU. The alumni are headed to Barbados for the Juneteenth celebration, the FABA Festival, which stands for Alumni by Alumni, will host its inaugural festival on the island of Barbados, June 15th through the 18th. Alums and allies of historically black colleges and universities will be able to come together for a first of its kind destination festival and celebration of the HBCU uh, excellence. Uh, FABA's itinerary includes a battle of the boats <laughs> and golf tournament that will raise scholarship funds for current HBCU students a uh, pre-fest alumni engagement leadership summit, a college fair, as well as inspirational talks and panels as a part of a community service initiative. A portion of the proceeds will fund HBCU student scholarships, helping further access uh, to education for black students. Whoa, whoa. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> woo, woo, woo. Yeah, man. Uh, well, U.S. News and World Reports, they have compiled a list of locations across the country where people can honor black history change makers and their contributions. The list highlights the country's top museums and events for black culture. You know, I love this one. Mm -hmm. The 13 locations are said to be great places to celebrate, not just for Black History Month, but all year round. That's how we do it here at Fox News Black Report. Mm -hmm. Coming in at number one is a city known as Chocolate City for its predominantly African-American population, where I like to say my mortgage resides, Washington, <laughs> D.C., uh, took the top honor. And other cities that made the list include Atlanta, Houston, Milwaukee, and one of my other favorite cities on the West Coast, Los Angeles. All of your, all of your cities with houses made it. Okay, moving on. Let's get into some black history here. In 1995, Bernard Harris becomes the first African-American to walk in space. And today, Alice Walker, the Pulitzer Prize winning author of The Color Purple, turns 79. If you remember back in 1983, The Color Purple won the Pulitzer Prize for fiction, making Walker the first African-American woman to win, as well as the National Book Award. Still ahead, it's a pricey purchase for those wanting a piece of mm. Michael Jackson's musical pay. history. You're going to have to pay. We'll tell you all about it uh, and uh, what uh, this deal is expected to bring in, how much money it's expected to bring in, that and more when we return. You're watching Fox Soul's Black Report. <laughs> Welcome back to Fox Soul's Black Report. Now we got some news for you about Michael Jackson's estate, mm -hmm. which is in negotiations to make a historic deal, selling half of the King of Pops music catalog for a reported 800 to 900 million dollars. Yeah, Sony, along with a potential uh, financial partner, is said to be in talks to acquire 50% of Jackson's assets, including his publishing, music revenues, the hit Broadway show MJ, the musical, and the upcoming biopic. This comes as private investment firms drive demand in the music industry, making it a great time to sell with valuations at an all-time high. This could become the largest music catalog package in history further solidify Michael Jackson's status as a true legend you are going to put and continue to put some respect on his name I mean that is amazing that's pretty serious and, mm -hmm. and I, I wonder if the valuation is that high in part because I think he still owns at least part of the Beatles catalog I don't know if mm -hmm. he owns all of it uh, it might but, have something to do with uh, it. But I wonder if that's a part of the valuation. But, you know, we've certainly heard stories in, in you know, recent months about a number of artists mm -hmm. uh, who have uh, had their catalogs, or at least part of their catalogs, up for sale. I think John Legend, I think, uh, you know, Tina Turner, mm -hmm. um, uh, a lot of really great musicians, you know, I guess are deciding this is the time to this sell high. This is the high. time to sell. You know, listen, you're talking about generational wealth and, you know, some of these catalogs are so highly valued. If they were to sell and sell at those prices, then folks would never have to sing another note ever 
their great grandchildren would never have to sing a note ever in their lives. It's, it's quite amazing. And it really does speak to um, the talent and the legacy, uh, especially for those artists who have passed on and those catalogs are still highly uh, valued. I think it's great. It's great mm -hmm, to see. Mm -hmm. uh, now the BBC apologizes for posting a photo of, get this, Viola Davis while acknowledging Beyonce's big night during the you 65th Grammy Awards coverage. Social media quickly called out the mistake, but some defended BBC, claiming the user only took a screenshot. By Monday, BBC owned up to the error and issued an official apology via Twitter admitting that it fell below their usual standards. Now, meanwhile, Beyonce made history by becoming the most awarded artist in Grammy history with 32 wins, solidifying her reign as Grammy elite. Viola Davis also had a big night, winning her first Grammy and joining the ranks of EGOT status. Now, listen, mm -mm. I, mm -mm. I don't think mm -mm. that there is any comparison mm -mm. Uh, aesthetically between Beyonce and Viola Davis. You know, they look different, they walk different, they are different, and that's, and that's okay, but you know, we, we saw this happen during the uh, the French state dinner at the White House, remember when I think it was the Washington Post that mis had mistaken uh, White House Press Secretary Karine Jean Pierre for Lupita Nyongo. Uh, but that makes a little—it's wrong. But that makes a little bit more sense. On no day will Beyonce and Viola Davis use the same foundation when getting ready. Never, ever, ever. It, you can see that, even though the mistake is wrong. Know your people, especially in the media. But this right here. Baby, please. It brings new meaning to, you know, that song, I Woke Up Like This? It just brings new meaning to that. I'm just saying. Time to move on. <laughs> Speaking of baby, Baby Blue of Pretty Ricky was released from prison Tuesday after serving uh, one year for his involvement in a $24 million PPP loan scam. Fellow group member Pleasure P posted a video on IG showing their reunion and Baby Blue, now known as Big Money Blue, that's bold, announced his name change on the social media platform as well. The rapper is eager to get back to making music, teasing new projects, including a book and new music. What are you looking at, Decordalide? Baby Blue's early release from uh, prison was made possible through uh, the First Step Act programmed at uh, reducing recidivism. I was admiring his tattoo. Yeah, moving, moving on, the uh, Ellen DeGeneres campus in Rwanda celebrated its first anniversary by planting a tree in honor of late choreographer Stephen Twitch Boss. Mm. The campus posted a photo of the tree with a plaque reading, quotes, in memory of Stephen Twitch Boss and the light he brought to the world. Twitch, who passed away in December 2022, was a close friend of Ellen DeGeneres and served as the house DJ on her talk show for many years. DeGeneres has paid tribute to Boss multiple times since his passing. The choreographer was also honored in a recent capsule collection by Gap and the Brooklyn Circus. And Montclair is bringing their Art of Genius showcase to London Fashion Week. It happens February 20th, and it is packed with big names. We're talking Alicia Keys, Pharrell, Jay-Z, and more. will join the fashion company for this showcase, which will also feature a presentation from Rick Owens of the Montclair Rick Owens Collection. Montclair Chairman and CEO Remo Ruffini says this year's Art of Genius is a departure from their previous collaborations as it's now a platform for co-creation, a place where creativity and imagination can thrive. Now, the event aims to explore the boundaries of creation going beyond fashion at the intersection of art, design, entertainment, music, sports, and culture. An Arizona woman has filed a complaint against NFL Hall of Famer and Super Bowl commentator Michael Irvin. Reports say that Irvin has been removed from Super Bowl coverage after the complaint was filed. Irvin defends himself, saying the encounter was brief, non-physical, and in a public setting after a dinner and drinks with a former NFL player. Now, the former Dallas Cowboys wide receiver is baffled by the accusation, and local police have no knowledge of the incident. Irvin was previously scheduled to appear on First Take with host Stephen A. Smith, 
and Molly Quirm, but will no longer be participating. Hmm. All right, don't go anywhere. When we come back, it's Black Excellence time. We love it, and that's why you're watching Fox Souls Black Report. More when we come back. <laughs> All right, time for Black Excellence. The grandmother of Juneteenth, civil rights icon Opal Lee, is honored by the Texas Senate with a commissioned portrait that will be permanently displayed in the Senate chamber. Come on now, the recognition signifies her continuous efforts on behalf of the black community and helping to lead a movement that resulted in Juneteenth becoming a national holiday. Miss Lee's portrait will be the second to honor a black Texan as former Senator and U.S. Congresswoman Barbara Jordan of Houston's uh, portrait was placed in the Senate chamber back in 1973. That's right, Ms. Lee was nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize in 2022. She didn't win, but assured everyone that the work was not done and she encouraged folks to get involved however they can. Mm. Congratulations to Ms. Opal Lee. And before we end the show, it's National Pizza Day. The cheesy holiday falls annually on February 9th. Many restaurants offer discounts and freebies in honor of the special day every year. So make sure to find a Black-owned pizza spot in your city and support them today. Uh-huh. Here on the set, we have delicious Greg's Pizza from Detroit's West Side. Thank you, Greg's Pizza. They've been in business since uh, the 60s, serving us great pies to the black community for over uh, six decades. Wow. Absolutely amazing. Happy National Pizza Day. Get your pizza on. And I'm going to eat this for Nicordelite because... He is on a special restricted diet, and that's why he's picking off the meat. You say it like I'm not standing here. You, you're not. You're quite invisible. He can't I, have I, anything but air I'm, I'm on his special I'm, diet. I'm still committed to Whole30, right? And so I'm just enjoying the protein here. But uh -huh. um, I just love, 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 love uh, that uh, this black pizza joint exists right here in Detroit. And we love being able you to, know we get to feature dance those when black it's good. entrepreneurs. Uh, doing their thing. I like discussion dance. I love it. <laughs> Is that what you're doing over there? <laughs> yeah. So make sure you find a black pizzeria. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if you if you Google to search the history on pizza and it did come from Africa. Like everything else did, you know, the motherland. So, you know, I know the Italians make claim to it, but you just never know. Because we help, you know, the Koreans um, learn how to do fried chicken. So why not Africans, you know, that might have come up with an original pizza pie, if you will. But National Pizza Day, it's every February night. I did not know that, every February yeah. night. So I, just wanna, I just want to salute all the black Italians uh, that oh, are out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Cause they do, they do exist, mm -hmm. right? And we want to thank you for your contribution. What are you we looking for? And thank you to our producer for feeding us today cause we're always hungry after this show is over, honey. Thank you, Aaron, you know, for looking out for uh, black businesses here in Detroit. And mm -hmm. thanks to all of you mm -hmm. for watching Fox Souls Black Report. Remember, get out there, support a black owned pizza joint mm -hmm. wherever you are. I'm the Cordelia Corte. And she's Courtney Hicks. I just can't <laughs> and we want you to stay lifted and enjoy National Pizza Day, y'all. Mm, 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 mm.